And now, when did that come out? Part of the Real Change Movie Podcast. Thank you for hitting the download. Welcome back to another episode of When Did That Come Out? Uh, We've taken quite a break, but uh, luckily we're back and we're continuing the show, obviously. We are in the month of September of 1994. Today we're going to be looking at Robert Redford's quiz show. I am Charlie Stabile, joined, as always, by William Rankin. Will, how is your weekend going? I saw Marty three times. Saw it three times in the theater. Wasn't that Turturro? Yeah, I know. I, just, I, just Wait, wanted, became, just, I wanted to become it, Rob this, Morrow this, as John Turturro. This, <laughs> I went and saw the movie three times. That's a great Jewish accent you have there, Rob Morrow. <laughs> I, know. I, I think this is going to be a running gag throughout the whole show because, yeah, it is, it's hard to avoid. So 1994. Uh, the year, in, uh, September? September. Uh, this is, yeah, isn't that weird? This movie came out in September, which yeah. is basically the fall January. Kind of, but not really because it feels like your 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 traditional Oscar campaign starts like, in November. It's it, Late kind of. November. But there's some that are like, it's de- depending on what comes out. And I'm talking like Gump, Fiction. Like, oh, the summer. You, you gotta, you know, you, you, you some, it's all about positioning. Like, where mm-hmm. are you gonna position yourself? Because, like, you take take 2018. What happened? Stars Born came out too early. Came out way too early. Was that March? September. Oh, wow. I think it was September. No, you're right, because it just, <clears throat> it just came out on video. But the problem is, like, it, its momentum just kind of halted by the time... By the time we're getting to the Golden Globes and Green Book all of a sudden, Bohemian Rhapsody, all these movies are creeping up the favorite. They're all overtaking A Star is Born. It's an interesting what if now to think about what if A Star is Born comes out maybe a month, maybe two months later. Same thing with First Man. First Man comes out in October and really just kind of gets swept away, like swept out of the picture. Yeah, I've heard a lot of people, I've not seen it, who've said it will be a movie that I think will age well and will make people like, oh, man, we really missed the boat on First Man being a true Oscar contender. So it's interesting when movies are released for the the awards in that that September October area because we're this is a different period where I think maybe the slow burn was more of a thing. People banked on a slow burn for awards movies. Like, oh, don't worry, don't worry, it may not start well, but by the time the award the nominations come out, it's going to jump up. Right. This movie bombed. Yes. At the box office. I don't, I, and I'm not exactly convinced that this movie was um, designed with the idea that it could be nominated for several Oscars. I don't, th- you I don't think so. I don't think so. It doesn't have that vibe. Because you got us. Well, uh, you don't think it has that vibe? You I really well, don't. I think maybe you're looking at a possible Oscar nomination. Uh, this is without. Okay. We don't know what the Oscar nominations are for Quiz Show. I think you're looking at a possible Oscar nomination for Ray Fiennes. I think maybe you're looking for screenplay, and maybe that's it. Maybe maybe costuming or cinematography. You know these types of awards that always go to uh, period films. This doesn't. Okay. Not not to say that I'm not a huge fan of this movie, but this doesn't feel like Oscar bait. I mean, any movie that's based on some kind of fact, of course, is going to be geared towards uh, Oscar attention in some shape or form. But in much the same way that I kind of look at a movie like The Fugitive, I don't. It just doesn't feel like the kind of movie that would get the four Oscar nominations that that it would eventually get. Even though, like, granted, at least two of them, I'm like, absolutely. You know what I'm saying? I, the only reason I can't, I, I'm thinking. About I mean, the you time can disagree here. with me. It's well, no, 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 because I. Without seeing the movie, just like if I'm thinking, about, okay, I'm in 1994. Previews are coming out for movies. Robert Redford's got a new movie. He's got to start there. Okay. This is if you start with Robert movie. Redford. His first movie he wins, Best Director. You want to rail off his movies real quick? Well, got, I know up, you, up to this point or all time? Up, up to this point okay. only. It's Ordinary People, 1980. Then the Milligro Bean, Beanfield War, 1988. What? Yeah. In 19, yeah, he, he takes eight years off before he does another direct direct. So Ordinary People, I uh, believe that was a Best Picture winner. And it, yeah, it beats it, it out. killed everything. You want to say that one more time? Is yeah, that it, right? Yeah, he beat out Scorsese, which is funny. I forgot Costner that was the same. Yeah, beats beat out Goodfellas. Goodfellas. So, and Scorsese is in this movie, right? <laughs> so four years later, he does a River Runs Through It. Okay, which is a beautiful 
movie. Like mm-hmm. I remember when we saw it in class, I had never even heard of it, but you know, Brad Pitt's in there. It's like, oh, cool. Mm-hmm. And I mean, just it, God, it made me want to go fly fishing right then and there. I'd never even done it before. But then two years later is quiz show. So leading up to that point, like obviously the the Beanfield War didn't exactly set the world on fire. And I'll be honest, I don't know how it fared critically, commercially. I have a feeling not great. But, we, I've never heard of it. Right. So you're really talking about a guy like, and a river runs through, I think it's fairly well received. Again, can't It was. It. No, it was. I don't know box office on it off the top of my head if it's like successful or not. But it seems like the, the Robert Redford like luster is still fairly well in bloom, even though it's been, at this point, 14 years. But the fact that he's only done so many movies, and he's he's got Sundance. Sundance has really boomed. So mm-hmm. his stock is definitely on the rise. And then when you see, I mean, look at the poster. With the back of Ray finds his head. Mm-hmm. Look at that, and you're like, this feels like this is a movie. Like, a movie movie. Like, wow, we're going to be celebrating this thing. Mm-hmm. Because also, like... like, like you and I are at a miss on this because it's not our generation that this happened in. Right. Like, I, this is coming out in 94, so this is, what, about 40s or 30-something years after? It's 35 like years? I think it's 59 or 58. That Somewhere in that area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, when I have to ask questions about this, I ask Dad. So, like, he remembers my this. mom would have been, like, five. So yeah. it still kind of misses for her, too. So it's like, this movie's really catering to... Like, it feels like it's it's your... The reason I feel like it is geared towards the, the awards is that this feels like an Academy Award, like this is geared 100% towards Hollywood. It's Hollywood celebrating its it, the the history of the medium. I'll give you this. Slash television, even though it's... Anyway. It, t- it pulls the Forrest Gump thing from the same year and that uh, it, it, it its sole audience seems to be baby boomers mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. baby boomers were really riding high on nostalgia yep. around this time. And yeah, like... Yeah, like look like, at nowadays. Look at your best picture winner this year. The best picture Oh, it's winner. still, it's, nothing's changed. It's a baby boomer movie. It's a baby that's boomer not, movie. It's not, Isn't that crazy? Yeah, I mean, that's the, that's the, fun, that's, I mean, I'm not, I say it's a funny thing. It's not a funny thing. It's kind of a, uh, it, 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 whatever. But, no, uh, it does, it's <laughs> from the guy that directed Dumb and Dumber. And then, like, once you actually see the movie, the opening sequence feels like this is, like, I, and I, when I say the important Oh, have you movie, seen Green Book? No, no, no. Oh, oh you're talking about a quiz show. Quiz show. The opening of quiz show, it definitely feels like this is a movie that's, like, we're here, like Bray Wyatt's. <laughs> We're here. <laughs> Redford blows out the lantern, <laughs> and that's not to say it's pretentious. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say that the opening's pretentious, but the opening is very well crafted. It is very much. This is not. This is not the opening to Pulp Fiction. No, this is not the opening to Reservoir Dogs. Like this is a Hollywood well, film. So let's. Uh... Let's break this down. So quiz show. I haven't really talked about what this is about. This is based on a true story. It's based on a novel called Remembering America, A Voice from the 60s by Richard Goodwin. It was a memoir of his. Yeah, Dick Goodwin. Dick Goodwin. Uh, This is the character played by Rob Morrow, who is the movie's moral compass. Basically, it's the true story of... Moral compass? That's funny. Is that what I said, or I am I just was. not pronouncing things correctly? No, no, I thought the you said... The neutral, Dustin Rose! No, no, I thought, no, I thought you said the more... The more, the Morrow Compass. That would be his that memoir. Be. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll just read it in his stupid quiz show voice the whole time. So, this is the true story of the quiz show scandals from... Not just from, from 21, which is uh, where this story's pulled from, but from all the quiz shows, like... Like $64,000 question, tic-tac-doe, all those baby boomer quiz shows. And how basically they were all rigged. And the uncovering of the rigging and the fallout uh, that uh, the movie claims happened afterward, Mm -hmm. even though that's uh, slightly embellished, as I found out when I was doing some research. Uh, You've got a great cast. you got Ray Fiennes uh, a year after doing Schindler's List. So he's still really hot. Rob Morrow, who felt like uh, four guys previously just couldn't make it. Uh, John Turturro, awesome. Yeah. Like, he's uh, he's so good here. And uh, I, I, I can't state that enough. Paul Schofield, who got an Oscar nomination for playing uh, Ray Fiennes' father, the Pulitzer Prize winner, Charles Van Doren. David Paymer, another Oscar nominee uh, from Mr. Saturday Night. He's a partner with Hank Azaria. What a team. Yeah. Like, like, like They make a lot of this work. And what, for me, truly is the most underutilized actor in the entire movie is Christopher McDonald as Jack Barry. Yeah. It's so cool to see Christopher McDonald in a movie that's not like one of our 
go-to goofball comedies, but something of of like substantial dramatic merit. <clears throat> and unfortunately, he's just reduced to just being Jack Barry on screen, and you see him behind the scenes for about a minute or two. But he still does excellent work. Also, uh, Mira Sorvino, his what a it's, thankless role that yeah, is. It's, like it's absolutely, nothing. you could cut her out. Like, she's not important to Rob Morrow's character as uh, What's-Her-Face is to John Turturro's. Mm -hmm. Like, I understand that. Um, so, quiz show. Uh, I love that you pointed out... This is where I'm going to start. You pointed out the poster. That That is a very iconic poster to me because I always remembered that poster even before I saw the movie. It's like, well, what's that? Mm -hmm. You know, it, like, it, it's, a, it's a very intriguing... Um, poster that just kind of makes you wonder what it's about, mm -hmm. if, even if you never heard of it. And like I said, I, I, I had to ask my dad about this. He was like 9 or 10. He remembers all this. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was fascinated by it back in the 90s, and that's when I first saw it, which was on uh, VHS, that, that something like this could not only be pulled off, but, but could be pulled off successfully for such a long time. And I was a fan of it <laughs> Granted, as a kid, I was like 13 or 14. And um, the movie, like, it was really interesting, I thought, uh, for the time and for the way that it was handled. Uh, well, when did you first see Quiz I didn't Show? See it I did not see it in 94. I saw it maybe a couple years later during one of those periods of, hey, you got free, insert name of uh, a premium channel for the weekend. Oh, cool. Show so, this feels like a Showtime movie. Yeah, yeah. That's when I remember seeing it. Because, of course, like... We're talking about 94. Like, it's probably one of the most prestigious years of films. And this is the first movie we've covered in this season that is part of this cadre of, of the best of the best. Yeah, if we were going to pick one of the films that were up for best picture, this was the one I was going to go with. Because I don't think Quiz Show gets talked about enough. Uh, especially in comparison to the other movies that were nominated. You know. Oh, no, continue. Oh, I. Oh, was that it? Oh, okay. Yeah. Sorry, I, th I thought I cut you off. Um, yeah, because it's like, yeah, we, we could have done Forrest Gump. You could do Shawshank. Although I love both of those movies, but you know, people talk about them all the time. And of course, Pulp Fiction, which I. I Talk about movie posters. God, that's four of most iconic movie posters. You're right. Quiz Show, Gump, Fiction, and Shawshank. Shawshank. Those are even their posters are ones that are unforgettable. That's a good point. Unforget. I mean, what's the, the fifth movie? What is the fifth movie that was up for Best Picture? I mean, uh, was it... Do you remember? Was it, was, it, was it Ed Wood? Was it Bullets Over Broadway? Was it... I think it's... Uh, it's not Ed Wood. I think it's Bullets Over Broadway. I don't remember that poster because I don't... Like, that's... I don't either. It's one of the... Ed Wood, I do. Yeah. Yes. Yes. 1994 had a lot of good posters. It does. And the Gump one is always, like, the simplicity of a white with the bench. With right. Him. It's awesome. If, was that the actual theatrical? I know it was the, yes. the cover to the VHS. Yeah, that's the that's the poster. Okay, I remember because Dumb and Dumber made fun of it. Right, right, right. right. Yeah, that's right. So quiz show to give you an idea. Uh, like if you're listening to this and you've never watched one of these or don't know this story, I've just found this fascinating because uh, this this could never happen again. The top five rated programs on television back in 1958 were all quiz shows. All of them. We're talking viewership in like 20, 25 million. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just phenomenal. Um, and not to connect this to our other podcast, but I couldn't help but notice this. The pro wrestling? Yes! It's brilliant. It's the most brilliant part of the movie is the fact that they're talking about taking dives. Yes! And pro wrestling's on. It's the best part of the movie. I couldn't, I, I couldn't get it out of my head. Really good. It's like, because I was like, I started to have a moral problem with... with, with a moral or a moral? Mor God damn... <laughs> I started to have an ethical issue internally <laughs> um, where a lot of people, one of the reasons a lot of people don't like pro wrestling, uh, which is our other show, is because they feel like it's a fraud. Mm -hmm. Why are we okay with that fraud, but we're not okay with quiz shows? Because basically what I noticed is what they're doing in these quiz show scandals is basically the exact same thing that pro wrestling, not that they do now, but that they were doing then. Like back in the gorgeous George days, mm -hmm. and they were they were presenting pro wrestling as real, and you know people lost money on pro wrestling mm -hmm. back then, and then pro wrestling was you know discovered to be somewhat fixed. Probably I want to say late seventies, early eighties. No, well hell, by Rocky three, the the I'm sorry, that's the end of it right there. Yeah, I so, I, so many like I've I've heard people talk about the end of kayfabe. kayfabe. Yeah, 
is when Vince like they apply for that license in New Jersey, and they as and an entertainment as an entertainment mm-hmm. is like that's that's a moment that's there's so that's a big it, moment. It all depends on your point of view when that is when's the defining moment of when it's the the basically the horses are out of the barn. So I've just there's no way around this. Uh, this episode is going to be part movie review, part documentary pod. Because uh, you have to talk about this show uh, to understand the way that this thing worked. Um, and I still don't quite understand how the, sh- the game 21 works. Where you get two people in a booth, they bet on money, and they have to get to 21. Mm-hmm. That's basically it. Now, according to what I read, the only honest episode that they ever did was the first. <laughs> and it was a ratings disaster. Mm-hmm. And, they, and then the advertiser said, don't ever let that happen again. And... The thing that's amazing is that so many people uh, who went in legitimately to audition for these game shows, and they were asked over 300 questions, that so many of them would be elated to hear that they were chosen. And then they would have a meeting with Enright, played by David Paymer, and he would tell them that basically that it wasn't real. Mm -hmm. And they would would fix the game for them. Uh, Herb Stemple claims... That Enright came to his house and asked him, uh, "How do you? How would you like to win uh, twenty five thousand dollars?" So that's that's the interesting part of how the movie is framed because the movie doesn't, well, he even claims it in real life. In in the movie, Redford doesn't give it away initially that Stemple is in on the fix. No, well, not in the beginning. In the in the movie, it plays him out almost like he's like he's he is our hero in a weird way because he's like, "Oh no, he's the honest one." He's so good at the game, but he's not a—he's not a good-looking man. So they need to find a way to fix the game so he can get out of it. But I know he, the conversation with Paymer kind of tips it, but it doesn't. He pulls back on it. it's not until oh gosh, I want to say at least an hour, hour and a half into the movie, where more or the Dick Goodwin character confronts him, or, or he confronts the Dick Goodwin character in the hotel, where he's like, "I know it's fixed. I I knew it was fixed. They told me it was fixed." Remember, I thought it was revealed when. The question he was going to lose on. So they tell, like, so they tell him you're going to dive on it, but it's Totoro doesn't 100 percent sell that like this has happened before. Okay, yeah, Redford, so that, that is thing. true. I like that Redford does that because it it's this is a not it's not a very suspenseful story, but, but he finds a way to they they build they, it. they they use it as an onion. Yeah, you know, it's just like uh, like because the way it is first portrayed is that Herb Stemple is the only one. And he took a dive. But then it's revealed that he, the guy that he beat did the same thing. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, how far back does this go? Oh, and by the way, the uh, the son of the Pulitzer Prize winner and teacher at Columbia University, the guy that beat me, he's cheating too. Because the whole reason for this, of course, is if ratings drop, that means less people are buying Geritol. And, <laughs> right. Geritol. And that's why we gotta, <clears throat> we've got to... That's why we got to rig this game, which is important. It's what's funny is in the beginning, all three players that are involved in the trial at the, or the the congressional hearing at the end are all on that phone call about what like we need to make a change we need to get stemple out. right all three of them mm-hmm. the head of nbc kettner um i don't i forget the, what score says his character name oh i don't remember this but is Ger, mr. Ger, mr geritow geritow yeah <laughs> geritow <laughs> but and then pamer right and right so so uh, I want to break this down for you because I want to know what you think about this. Okay. What the hell is NBC's plan here? They get a guy to win a lot of money. He loses. They offer him a job? Were they just going to keep offering these contestants jobs at NBC or jobs on other game shows? Right. How long could this possibly have gone on before somebody went, you know what? This is BS. Well, all right. Think about from this point of view. The guy's a, the person is a celebrity. People watch because of their of that celebrity kind of status. They're interested in this person. They're interested in Herb Semple. A normal Semple. guy. So let's take let's take the element out that Herb Semple is kind of crazy and you know black tries to blackmail him and all that. If if everything went to their plan and Stemple's like, yep, no problem, take the dive. It seems logical they would recycle him on another show. Why? Because people well, be like, well, oh, sure hey, hey. I want to go check out that Tic Tac whatever. Tic Tac Doe? Yeah. I want yeah. to go watch that because Stemple's on. He was on 21. That ought to be fun, right? Right. Oh, no, absolutely. But I, I got it. At some point, you got to well, wane it off. That's not, that's not quite what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, what made NBC think that anyone could keep their mouth shut when they're hiring so many people? And the, people love to talk. Right. People love to give information that they aren't asked. Like, 
it's it's not a foolproof plan. Well, what they're hoping for first is the money. Like the money mm-hmm. will be enough to wear. But at the same time, like if this thing didn't happen with Stemple, guarantee what somebody it it was going to happen. So it was never foolproof. Like they, it was their own kind of arrogance. It, th- th- that's the word. It's arrogance. Like there's no way this could have lasted. 10 years, 15 years. Right. But they they seem to be completely oblivious to that. Right. They seem and to... Remember, they they do mention throughout the movie, this television thing is a whole new medium. It's a whole new medium. Like, they Redford tries to sell this whole... Like he does sell the narrative about television being this new, incredible thing. It would be a lot easier to keep a secret like this on radio. Yes. That's a good point. It would be. Yeah, okay. So, well, here's where they screw up. Uh, so, Herb Stemple, John Turturro's character... His, uh, his character's not really bringing in the ratings anymore. People are a little tired of him. They, they built up this great story with him uh, that, that, that basically they gave him his uh, father-in-law's jacket that's too big on him. They made him look schlubby. Um, he was like a college student like b- going through with the GI Bill. Mm-hmm. It was someone that Americans could root for. Problem was Americans kind of turned on him because he's just kind of dorky. And he's a know-it-all. He's a sponge. Basically, like, and a classic American narrative is we we love it when an underdog wins, but then when they win wins, too much, we don't watch anymore. Which is awful. It's there's bandwagoning, and then there's the anti-bandwagoning. Well, well, yeah, well, scenarios. yeah. Why are you rooting for that team? Because they haven't won longer. The Chicago Cubs versus the Indians. I guarantee oh, you, there were a ton of people rooting for the New England Patriots in 2002 when they played the L.A. That's the, a great example. Rams. And then by the time 04 comes around, they're like, forget them. Yeah, they've been, been too, too much. long. Sorry, I was rooting for the Patriots at the last one. Right. It's just like, I, 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 you root for a great team. Right. So, <clears throat> uh, Herb Stemple, who has answered so many questions correctly, the American public thinks he's a genius, he's a celebrity. They ask him to take a dive. And... I honestly think they could have kept this going a little bit longer if they hadn't completely and utterly embarrassed him with the question that they, that he had to take a dive on, which was what won Best Picture uh, at the Oscars in 1955, which, okay, I believe that was only two years before, mm-hmm. now that I think of it. So this is 1957. In a time where the Academy Awards, that say, well, like, you're oh, going to watch that show. That's probably going to get like 35, 40 million viewers. Mm-hmm. And the winner was Marty, and they wanted him to say On the Waterfront. Right. And... He was so uh, against doing that because he he actually is a huge fan of Marty. He said it was one of his favorite movies. I saw it three times. I saw it three times. I yeah. Keep using the Moro voice. I know. <laughs> and you're going to do it. That's fine. And, until we do uh, What's His Face. It doesn't feel as quite as insulting as trying to do a bad Jewish impression. Like you feel like just. Like you're oh, old. like Totoro does? <laughs> Totoro's really good. Oh, no, 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 he's, I'm he's sorry. Great, but I know Totoro he... <laughs> is great. But even even uh, Stemple in real life said, that was a caricature of me. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. I was like, I kind of believe it. Like, I love his brown tooth. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's the best. Yeah. Totoro just really just uglies the, the whole thing The way he up. sweats because they turn the AC off. Yeah. The way, like, I mean, they he does a phenomenal job, Redford does, of making you just, the audience viewer in 1994 think, man, I would love... Ray Fiennes look because he is gorgeous. Ray Fiennes, this is the best he's ever looked. Oh, yeah. Like he's got the perfect hair. This is a far cry from Schindler's List. Like Ray Fiennes looks like one of the fifty most beautiful people in the world. Which uh, I looked him up. Um, Van Dorn was not. <laughs> like he wasn't that good looking of a guy. And I we, we used to say that about Ray Fiennes. Not anymore. And, and he probably was good looking by like nineteen fifty eight TV standards. If you're watching TV, maybe you're watching like, oh, TV. Hey. Yeah, it's like when people say, and I've, this is a this is a line somebody else has already used, so I'm not I'm, I'm kind of stealing. But when people talk about, oh, uh, um, Ted Bundy, gorgeous, God, he's a good looking man. Oh and yeah. Look at him, I was like, well, well, okay. in the right light. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> the joke is by serial killer standards, he probably <laughs> not bad, not bad. <laughs> but anyway, um, where was I? Fines, Ray Fines, Charles Van Doren, Charles Van Doren. Uh, so. They come across Charles Van Dorn, who's auditioning for Tic Tac Doe, and they think, oh my god, is that is that one of the Van Dorns? Like, Van Dorn's a very prestigious... Van Dorn, Van Dorn? I love that joke. What? Van oh, Van Dorn, Van Dorn? <laughs> yeah. Wasn't that Jack Berry? <laughs> I, I think, well, it's a it's it's done by multiple people. Right. I think Pamer or Azaria well, or Because they think it's so strange yeah. that a guy, that one of the Van Dorns wants to play, um, you know, one of the quiz show games. And... David Paymer says, well, why don't you take uh, 21? Yeah. You know, and he's exactly. like, well, I came here for Tic-Tac-Doe. It's this great thing. So then, <clears throat> basically, he asks Charles Van Dorn a series of questions that he, that he gets all of them right. And then he, he basically he kind of suggests that the game is fixed. 
and Van Doren is not interested. He wants to win honestly. And this is great. I love the way that this is structured in the movie where it's not revealed that they're going to basically double cross. This is so weird to say, but double cross Van Doren into winning. Uh, they, it's this great moral moment in the movie where Charles Van Doren is playing 21 against Herb Stemple and he's getting all the questions right and he's doing really well. And then for the final question, he's asked a question that he was asked during his auditioning process. What's well, when he's just he's just out in the in the waiting room. Well, that's when they first ask him. Yeah, that's the the, the Civil War question. Right, and they and ask that's... him the same question live on television, and he sits there and he ponders it, and. Granted, Stemple has already answered incorrectly, which for a second it seemed like, boy, that could have changed television mm -hmm. if he had answered Marty, but he didn't. So, so basically... Kind of. It's like what we, we see where it actually the guy actually did it later in the movie. The Emily Dickinson. Okay, okay, yeah. The guy answered it right when he wasn't supposed to. Okay, we'll get to that. Yeah. Remind me of that. So Van Doren thinks about it for like 30 seconds and then screw it. I would love this. And he answers the question correctly. Stemple's gone. Here we go. And then all of a sudden, these... Totoro is so angry. Or, sorry, Stemple. Mm -hmm. He's so angry about this that he starts saying these outrageous things. And it's really... If NBC had just treated him properly, I don't think that any of this would have happened. Because he, in the movie and in real life, was promised a, a, a spot on a panel show. Mm -hmm. And they wouldn't give it to him. And they, and and they kept putting it off, putting it off, and he snapped. Yeah, I definitely think Stemple had a couple of loose screws up there, like to to have so much pride over Marty, especially. So this is what really gets the movie going, and this is where we're introduced to our favorite character in the movie, uh, good old Dick Godwin, uh, played by Rob Morrow oh, from actually, Northern we're, Exposure. We're introduced him from. Minute well, the, one. Actually, because they have this... I don't like the prologue. It doesn't make any sense. I I always forget about the prologue. Because he's investigating automobiles, right? That's why I he's... Guess. I think he's kind of undercover. Because they, they mention it barely later. Because otherwise, it's never... We never what kind of him. an attorney is he? Where like, he's a... Um, he's going undercover. He Yeah, he... His official title is he works for... Because um, he works for that... Senator, is it the senator that's the the leading the committee, the congressional hearing? Right, right. He's, he's a, um, a, like, a, I don't want to say lobbyist, but that's. Mm -hmm. But he's, he's got a team. A, he's basically a lawyer, like, and he's he kind is of a, a lawyer prick. for yeah. The way he treats his 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 uh, partners. He's a he's a bulldog when it comes to the law. Like I mean, mm -hmm. he is a guy that like. But if, then he becomes a nice guy. Yeah. So it's really conflicting. Like, we're sold like this guy's like going to be the hero of this movie in a way because he's going to uncover the he's going to uncover the injustice that's going on. Injustice, he's going to uncover it. And this is where this is where Redford, I think, his footing gets lost a little bit because what who is the point of like who is the the focus of this movie? Right, oh, it's everywhere. Like, I'll, I'll give you that. Uh, yeah. Because it goes from Stemple, then it goes to Van Doren, Van Doren's family, uh, Dick Goodwin, Dick Goodwin's relationship with Charles Van Doren. Dick Goodwin's relationship with his wife. Yeah, it is it is a little jumpy, but I don't think it ever loses its footing. It, it, it's just, Cause di like, it's different. Like all, and I struggle to call it a conspiracy, but, you know. It, I mean. See, here's the thing. Like, we're, I think we're so disenfranchised with what a conspiracy actually is now that this kind of seems like small potatoes. Like all of them, though, they unravel with a very. Sm it's always a very small thread that causes it to happen. Right. It's the first thing. What the? Why are? Why are the? Uh, why is it? Why are there why flashlights is the, why on the water gate? Why is the? Oh, why is oh the, right. The questions from the. Uh, they claim that the questions all come from a a vault. Yeah. It will like, like Stem Disney vault. Well, because <laughs> Stemple first goes to like he testifies, like. Uh, to the a, a grand jury, I'm not sure if it's technically a grand jury. Yeah, and they laugh him out of the out of the room. Well, he sealed they they seal that testimony, and that's what tips Goodwin off. Like, why would they do that? That mm -hmm. doesn't make any sense. They haven't done that because remember they find out they haven't done that like in 70 years. That's that right. Done not since 1864. Is yeah, what they say it's like why is that? And of course the judge is in on it. He's getting paid off because he's the one who ends up when when Dick Morrow goes up there. <laughs> Dick Morrow. <laughs> Dick Morrow. <laughs> when Dick Goodwin goes up there and he he tips off Aaron Wright. 
mm-hmm. and NBC that like, hey, this guy is basically asking questions right. about this thing. So it's this slippery thing. But then like that's where it's because you have two things going on. Van Dorn is like a, the most popular man in America. He may he gets up to nearly a hundred thousand. Stemple only got to seventy, right. which is a, 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 another thread in the movie that they like to talk about. The, and it's not exactly something that they make clear either, because in real life, when you would lose, you wouldn't necessarily get all the money that you won right. on on the show. And that would I remember that I, I think that happened to Stemple, and he was infuriated. Uh, they're like, you know, you know, you didn't actually just win fifteen thousand dollars, right? Like, because uh, then, and that's the weird thing they do with Stemple. It's like, and I, I, the veracity of this is probably accurate that like he gave his money to a bookie. Oh God, he's yeah. got. He's I got, absolutely got, believe that. Yeah. He, so he's he's struggling and wanting to get back on the air and trying to use this over NBC because he's like, look, I, I need more money. He right. needs more money because he's pissed it all away gambling or whatnot. And right. So, which is so weird because that guy doesn't come across at all in the movie like somebody who gambles. He looks like a homebody. Yeah. Yeah, he just never it's leaves so his weird. house. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, Totoro, he, he really does an amazing job in this movie. Like, I, I understand that Stample said it was a caricature, but... Uh, He's so simultaneously likable and unlikable. Right. It's a, He rides a fine line. Like, when he does that Geritol ad for no reason, oh, you just want to slug him. You do, but like some of, I love his giddy enthusiasm when he's when he's giving his testimony and the people are laughing. He's auditioning. He's auditioning, and the thing is, he's a smart guy. But the way that scene always reads to me is, he's a smart guy, but he's not smart enough to realize that they're laughing at him, not with him. Mm-hmm. But he's just happy to have a reaction, and it feels like he's. A celebrity again. Mm-hmm. And I, I really like that. Like, this movie doesn't delve into it enough, but the power of celebrity and what it can do to you and what it can do to change your life uh, is so interesting. And the way Charles Van Doren handles it is brilliant. Like, like, the way that he handles it in the movie is so good because he doesn't let... He lets it get to his head, but not to the point of... Because he's interesting compared to Stemple. He is a very, very, like, intense, clear-cut intellectual. Mm-hmm. Like... He is brilliant. Yeah, he's not a sponge. He's just smart. And yeah. and he even he multiple times wants to play the game legitimately. Yeah. And they, and they won't do it because they they need they need the ratings, they need the uh, the Geritol sales. Like it all funnels back into like we all get paid. We all get paid when you win. Right. You need to keep winning. But that's where like the coolest part of the story is the father-son struggle. Yes. And the whole reason why he's doing this is because you know he's written a novel. It's not nearly as good as his dad. His dad's a poet laureate. He's written a... I love his line. You could pack Yankee Stadium full of mediocre writers. That's true. It's a great line. It's a really good line. I'll be in there too. Uh, <laughs> but I um, I love that he is struggling to find his way. He tries to be a professor. He's falling back on that even though his dad's a professor too. So what... And it's that line about why would he want to be on the cover of Time Magazine? Because his dad's not. Yep. And that's the most interesting part of the story that I, I almost wish like found its way more throughout it. I, I remember reading that one of the fabrications that they claim is in the movie is the conflict between the Van Doren and his father. Do you see it as conflict? I, I it's not conflict. I don't think it's his conflict. His dad is never like his dad is You're not, never good not You're proud not. of him. No, he's uh, even when he admits in that great scene, even when he admits that he's been cheating, the way his dad takes it, man, you would hope any dad, your dad, would mm-hmm. take it like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's it's interesting to me what people can perceive out of a movie, and then I I, I, like, I read it and just go, that wasn't conflict, that was father-son stuff. How many times did he ask his dad, did you see the show? Dad never sees no. They don't have a television, and that's always a big deal to him, because he wants his dad to be to proud see of it. Yeah. He wants, and like he doesn't understand that. He already is proud of you. You don't have to be right. successful to have, to be proud of your son or your child, whatever. And that's 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 the, the most winning parts of this movie are just mm-hmm. the one-on-ones with Ray Fiennes and uh, Schofield. Schofield. That's why he got the Oscar nomination. It's really uh, it's a sneaky good. little performance because you think it's going to be Taturo or or uh, Fiennes that gives the best performance, and then it's no. Like, it's not, not Martin Scorsese. It's a, <laughs> Scor- uh, Scorsese does he's, fine. Yeah, uh, his one little scene with uh, Rob Morrow. Yeah, 
which God, I can't believe we've haven't gone I mean, into. Let's this get yet. in. Let's just do it. All, All right. right, let's talk the about one, his performance. The one weak link, the one thing that keeps this movie for me from being perfect, is the main character. And that's why it's. I feel like it slides <laughs> so terribly is because. It's not even the because all right. First off, the accent. If you look up any list of the worst Boston accents, or maybe even accents, period, in a movie, this will find its way into that list. This is up there with anything that Costner was trying to pull <laughs> off in Robin Hood. Or I mean, Costner gets buried because Costner's tried not once but twice to do a Th- Massachusetts accent. Thirteen days. Thirteen days, and then in the Company of Men, he he, he came back and thought he could do it again, and it's just <laughs> taking out a swing at that. It's so bad. Swinging a mess. <laughs> But I don't even think it's the accent that's so bad. It's not the accent. It's this look that he has the whole movie. This. Where it's like he's he's selling you so hard that he's studying you. But at the same time, like, are you seduced by him? Like, are you trying to be sexy? Because it looks like a sexy sexy face. Like, you're almost waiting for something to happen between the two characters, the way he's looking at Ray Fiennes. It, you know what I mean? No, I it's picked up on too it too. Like, like, I picked up on it too. Like, why do you care so much? You, you were a dick the first half of this movie, but you seem to really care about this guy. Let's go on a boat ride together. Ooh. Now, Rob Morrow has this look on his face where he looks like he's about to fall asleep. His eyes are like half open, and, he, and his mouth, he's a mouth breather. And it's such an odd choice, and it's weird that Redford wouldn't tell him, dude, stop. Yeah. I've these weird takes on Redford and this because there's part of me that thinks that he wanted a, he wanted a character he wanted an actor to play Robert Redford in a movie that's similar to All the President's Men but he was too old to be the character because you know Redford Redford is hardly in movies he directs that's true and a lot of people hold that against him because it's like and, and, I, and to a degree I, under, I understand why like when he would do smaller projects, it's like, why are you in front of the camera? You could help sell this movie better. You're the champion of right. independent film. Do this. And I'm, this is an independent movie. It's not that part of that discussion necessarily. But the other thing I would think about is, does he deliberately cast somebody that people are going to say, oh man, it'd be so much better if Robert Redford played this. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because like, the guy is, and this will be in, in, in the aftermath of this, talking about the Soderbergh thing, which is very, very interesting. I do want to talk this. about that. <laughs> But there's part of me that thinks that it's an arrogance thing where it's like, man, you know, you don't make this movie so much better. It's probably Redford was the Dick Goodwin part. Now, I don't know how the accent would have gone. I feel like he would have kind of abandoned it. But don't you feel like he He shouldn't have done it at all? He tries to recreate all the president's men with this movie. Well, what do we call this movie? Uh, None of the president's President's men. Right, right. (laughs) Because my problem with this is by the third act where it's like, it's it's on. Dick Goodwin is, it's a cat and mouse game with Ray Fiennes. And some of that's interesting. They're back and forth like you have this. Ray Fiennes does a lot of good subtle acting. Yeah. Oh, he. A lot of good. It's it's really a shame because like he probably deserved a nomination. Because I think he's he so did. So good. Yeah, because I, I I'm not saying Schofield did the best in this movie. I was really taken by Ray Fiennes' performance. Yeah. Because he usually plays a dastardly, just evil person. Yeah. And here he's very sweet, and you can't help but wonder what you would do if you were him. Like, he has a great final look that he gives Dick Goodwin from when he's getting into the car. It's just like, you screwed me. And what did you get out of it? So, okay. So, Rob Morrow, he makes a case. Like, not a literal case, a figurative case. That he he doesn't want to go after the people. He wants to go after the corporations. He doesn't want to ruin anybody's lives, like individually. And, like I said, it's it's a contrast to the way that uh, he is in the beginning of the movie, I think. Uh, like He doesn't want to ruin Herb Stemple, although I don't think that's possible. And he doesn't want to ruin Van Doren. And it turns out that's exactly what he did. And my favorite part of the movie, my absolute favorite part, and I'll build up to this, um, NBC basically tells Van Doren to hide. Uh, like, 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 you're probably going to get subpoenaed. And if that happens, we're going to need you to lie. I can't lie. You know, I, like, I'm, I, I shouldn't, I can't do that. I'm a teacher and this and that. And he's like, well, what are you going to do? And he goes into hiding. And then finally, uh, well, I remember his uh, Mira Severino has a great line. She uh, something like the quiz show scandal trial without um, Charles Van Doren is like Hamlet. Hamlet without Hamlet. Or, so, right. So back he loses. He drops. He did, oh he's already he, lost. He, he dives. He takes a job at the Today Show. Sweet deal. Oh yeah. The, the scene with the uh, so president he comes of NBC. In and he's telling him like we want you to give a statement that you know nothing about it. And he's like, and it's a. One of the most brilliant things that people nowadays 
when politicians get into trouble, when you come out ahead of this and say, I'm an innocent man, that raises eyebrows. Like, like why? Without even being asked a question? Exactly. Oh, yeah. And that's a really interesting comeback because I always love that. Oh, there's a split infinitive there. That's always right. that's such a great line. It's weird. I know you'll do the right thing. Yeah. That's such a boss thing to hear. Yeah. I, I love that. Uh, so he goes into hiding and then Morrow finds him, I guess, and tells him he's got the subpoena. He gets subpoenaed. He goes in. And this really happened, which is so infuriating that uh, Van Doren r- read a statement basically mm-hmm. saying, I did this. I feel awful. Although, you know, I can't speak like Charles Van Doren. He said it in a very eloquent way. And, like, the whole committee, like, praises him. Like, you know, that took courage. That took guts. Blah, blah, blah. And I wrote the guy's name. It wasn't until Congressman Steve Darunian, who was a Republican congressman. He, was, he, was he in his Queens? I, I think so. Yeah. He was the one. from. That's just the. He breaks out this quote, and he basically just says, I don't think an adult of your intelligence should be commended for telling the truth. And there's conflicting reports, but basically as the story goes, uh, the audience erupted. Uh, because, yeah, it's just, this is, uh, I hate using this word, I think it's overdone. This is this is privilege. This is straight up 100% privilege. That's why he got that response. Herb Stemple didn't get this. Herb Stemple didn't say it like this. But because uh, Van Dorn came from a well-respected family, with people that you would want to be chummy with, like let's let's be honest, um, he was commended for basically ceasing to lie, <laughs> and he was called out on it. And basically, uh, Columbia University. The movie ends with Columbia University uh, asking for his resignation, and which just breaks his father's heart. Like that's really sad to see, and. Herb Stemple goes on to work with the Transit Authority, I think, for like the next four... Here's the amazing freaking thing. Both of these guys in real life are still alive. They were both born in 1926. They're both still living. It's incredible. Uh, and this is where I really take issue with the movie, though, if this is true. In the movie's final text, it claims that Charles Van Doren never taught again. And he never did it. That's not accurate. It's not accurate. Charles Van Doren didn't continue teaching at Columbia University, but he continued to teach. Right. They make it sound like... like The, the movie... I get it, I get it. Right. The movie wants this to feel like a, a modern-day Greek tragedy. Yes. The fall of somebody who was good. How easy it is for evil to corrupt good. And I get that, and it makes for a great movie. It really does. But when it hurts the real guy and makes him look worse than he really was when let's be honest most americans would do what he did uh it's that's a little infuriating i have no problem with changing the story condensing what was a three-year story into one year Mm -hmm. I, i have no problem with that but when they change like what happened to these people and they they tell us flat out lies I mean, I'm sure that bothers yes, you. Yes, the like, third act infuriates me, especially the final moments, because I don't mind, like, what that congressman says is dead on. It's 100% on. The crowd erupting is an incredible scene. It's great Ray Fiennes acting, because it's something he doesn't anticipate. He buries his head. Yeah, he doesn't anticipate mm-hmm. that people are really going to turn against him. I think in his mind, his character, the Van Doren mindset is, if I deliver this, people will think, oh, okay, we understand, and we will move on from this. I like beer. Right, right. <laughs> well done. <laughs> I like bear, you say. Yeah. Anyway, and, anyway. and he that's <clears throat> what he thinks is going to happen, but it doesn't. And then, of course, like what's, you know, I, I have mixed feelings on this, but you have the, this you have him exit. He's swarmed by media, and Stemple has this kind of epiphany that like this is all wrong, and why you guys can't leave a guy alone he's, when you want to leave a guy alone. Can we get long. a picture of you with Van Dorn? No, look at him. His life's ruined. Right. It's it's a and then it gets even more heavy-handed because then you see you you see Kittner. You've got uh, Mr. Geritol. <laughs> Mr. Geritol. Yeah, Aaron Wright. And then you hear um, Friedman, the Hank Azaria part, and they're all basically like deny, 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 da 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 da, and like it 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 basically kills the case. And you hear like this voiceover while you get this 
this landscape shot of Washington. You hear Hank Azaria talking about like, oh, it's entertainment, it's entertainment. And it's just this extremely Redford, heavy-handed, pretentious crap that this movie didn't need. It was its movie has like even despite the fact that that one review that we <laughs> I couldn't find the whole thing. I thought it was hilarious. Like oh. this the scandal is it it it's kind of interesting. It's kind of got a like a, it has kind of a lame finish because it's not, none of this is illegal. N- none of what they were doing. No, there was, were no no there were no obstruction laws on of justice the books. is illegal, of course. But f- having a fixed game show is not. There were, then, it wasn't regulated. This very heavy-handed theme of oh, the people are deceived over the. There's an honest game, and the people were deceived, and they put all this time. They they invested all their time and effort into watching the show, thinking it was on the up and up, and it wasn't. That's what we spent our two our two hours and two hours and twelve minutes to arrive at that. Like this is the same reason why people have rightfully railed against Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. You told us this gigantic poem about a guy shooting a bird just to say, "Hey man, nature's good." <laughs> hey man, that that's basically what Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner boils down to. And we went through this whole thing just to get to that. Was it yeah, necessary? No kidding. Like that's why I get so mad. It's like by the end of it, it's like, what has Dick Goodwin achieved? And more so, what is his motivation throughout the movie? Is it to just get famous? We don't really know his drive. Because if you told me, if you sold me more that like he isn't, he and Van Dorn are parallel because he's trying to be famous himself and be of some celebrity status, the same as Van Dorn is. The way he's going to do is by putting television on trial. That's what he says. That's his line. I'm going to put television on trial, and it's why. Why exactly? Like, like, what's your what's your reason? Yeah. Now, uh, one thing we forgot to mention, and I do want to bring this up, is uh, I really do think um, David Paymer is one of the great underrated character actors. He is so good, and in most, especially the movie he was nominated for, Mister yes. Saturday Night. I love him in that movie. Here, he is fantastic, and the way that the, the his his steadfastness and not admitting that this is all a ruse, this is all a fix. Is, is great, and he has one little scene where he flips a switch, and it's just like, oh yeah. And it's basically the 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 evidence that proves that it is fake, which is just brilliant. Uh, James Snodgrass, I think was the dude's name, um, who was a contestant before Herb Stemple on the show, um, I guess they never really say why he did it, but maybe it was to protect himself just in case. He mailed himself... The answers, the, he mailed himself the questions and the answers to those questions for a broadcast that was going to happen like three days later. Like the exact questions he was going to be asked. And when David Paymer gets that news from Rob Morrow, like all of the BS from like the previous hour and a half just fades away. And he sits down and I keep, I love his desperate man attempt. Like, would you like a, would you like your own talk show? But he really undersells it. He undersells it. Yeah, he, he doesn't like, he's not like angry or me, like pissed off or anything. He's just, yeah, it is fake. It is, it is fake. And you're right. There were no laws on the books for this stuff. Like, and I, that's kind of how I want to close the end of this episode is talking about like the morality of it. What was the thing I told you though to remember for later? There was we're some, talking about, it was, it was because um, Snodgrass was supposed to take a dive. Oh, he does yes. it. He answers oh, Emily Dickinson. Is, I love the way that Redford did this because it's not exactly clear what happened. Like, at first it's played that Christopher McDonald, Jack Barry, um, just misheard him. Mm-hmm. and But he actually gives the right answer. And, and, and then Jack Barry goes, oh, oh, no, I'm sorry. It's And then you see this look. It's, it's McDonald that, that got me. Mm-hmm. He has this perfect look on his face. Like, I'm sorry, did you say Emily Dickinson? He's like, yeah. Oh, well, you won. And it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's all from me on Christopher McDonald. Here's the irony of this ending. Because the irony is that the end of the movie, like they even tell it, Dan Ehrenreich, Jack Berry, all these guys, everybody makes out in the end. Mm-hmm. Everybody may go away for a while, but they all end up making millions later yep. doing other shows. And right. The, mm-hmm. Of course, Stemple and... and and Van Dorn really don't. They they kind of go they go back to living these kind of meager lives. And the thing that's interesting is like Redford's telling the story about oh the these corporations you know they get they they reap all the rewards and the common man ends up paying for it. And it's like you're kind of a douche, Redford, because when you look at just the very making of this movie, Steven Soderbergh coming out of 1989 has like his sex lies. 
the same years do the right thing. Like you have a cadre of, of, of independent filmmakers who are like, okay, there's something new that's coming. And this is right at the same time like Sundance is getting off the ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I believe Sex, Lies, and Videotape wins the Palme d'Or. Um, I, it is a massive Sundance hit. And basically Redford does what probably anybody who's hasn't had a real big hit in a while should do. You cozy up to the heat. You go to where the heat is so you can get some of that yourself. Happens in wrestling. Happens everywhere. And so he helps produce a handful of movies that aren't hugely successful for Soderbergh, you know, King of the Hill, these things. And Soderbergh is given this, like, a, I don't know if it's the script or the, the, the idea for the properties, like, about the quiz show, about adapting or creating or uh, writing the script, making the movie quiz show. Redford gets it at the same time, and it's because there's relationships that are intertwined with somebody that Soderbergh knows is also somebody that is in contact with Redford. And then all of a sudden, Redford's like, no, I want that, and I'm going to do it. And because he was he, a bigger name, he got it. He took it, He ends up taking it away from Soderbergh, which led to the deterioration, the final fissure of their of their relationship, which is just ironic. Like, like what Redford's talking about is a very universal theme. You know, the little man versus the machine. You can watch Tucker, A Man in His Dream. You can yep. see a ton of movies that are about this. And yet Redford trying to take the position of the guys that are the, the meager... It's ironic, isn't it? Exactly. And and that's kind of been like his M.O. If you go like years, years later with movies like The Clearing and stuff like that, it's like you could help out so many more of these independent movies if you could just get... Like why don't ego out of the way? Right, right. And so it's Redford's a really Mm -hmm. fascinating, conflicting figure when you look at it. And I don't know the question: Is this movie better as Steven Soderbergh? I can't say that because I don't know what really elevates this movie more than just if if it was more of the Van Doren story between the father and the son. I think is the best part of this movie. Now clearly, when Red when um by the time the late '90s hit. Soderbergh is in his wheelhouse when he does the limey. It's oh, a yeah. character that goes through this whole journey and at the end of it realizes that what was I doing it for? Which is very similar to the Dick Goodwin thing. Which is very similar to the Van Doren thing. Why am I doing this? Why am I really doing this? And they fall short. You see a movie like Traffic, which is an ensemble. He wins an Oscar for it. Now, it's a debatable how much Traffic holds up over the years for some people. Some people haven't seen it since. Some people still haven't seen it at all, period. If you look at what he did with Traffic, could he have done the same with Quiz Show? It's possible. That's hard to say. I think Quiz Show's about as good as it can be, so I don't know. I like Soderbergh as a director more than Redford, but... Well, like I told you, like, off air, um, if I had just seen this movie and didn't know who directed it, and someone had asked me, well, who do you think directed it? Yeah. I would, hands down, say, oh, it was Ron Howard. Gotcha. It yeah. feels like Ron Howard directed this. It, it It's very safe mm-hmm. i guess is the word like it doesn't really step on too many toes not too badly uh robert redford doesn't really seem to have he's i think he's i think he's very competent i think he's i think he's great but there's nothing that's like distinctly his um it feels like compositions ideas that come from other people and it, which a lot of actor turned directors do that you know like, like they learn from all the all the directors they work with and here's my take on that and that's very interesting and I, I agree with you. I think, yeah, this movie probably is as good as it can possibly be. Um, the last thing I want to talk about before we wrap this up, because I couldn't help but wonder what kind of an impact this would make if it happened today. And I honestly don't think it would make any, much more of a short-lived hashtag on Twitter. Uh, and maybe that's just how far we, I, how far honest, we fall. I thought about when Ken Jennings had that run on Jeopardy. You thought he was cheating? No, I thought what they were doing was maybe they were throwing up softballs. That they knew he could knock out of the park. Oh, maybe that's another way of doing it. Where like he doesn't necessarily, and I have no idea. I have not gotten any type of research. They still bring him on, right? It, so it always made me wonder, like that run. If it's it, still going on. Oh God, dude! Like like 135 days. I, I mean, do you, do, I mean, it was insane. Like I mean, the guy was a fixture for yeah. network <coughs> television. For when I think of Jeopardy, I think of Alex Trebek and Ken Jennings. Yeah. 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 Like, part of me always wondered, like, was their their new way of doing it, like, well, just you know, just kind of go easy on the questions, the ones that you pick, ones that you know this guy will knock out of the park and keep this thing going. I don't, I only, I only remember how he bows out. If it's like a he lost to a guy who was champion for two days, gotcha. I think it was two days. Gotcha. And it was like, yeah, 
what happened? Yeah. Uh, I can't, was it a blowout or was it like... No, uh, he just didn't do well that game, I think. I think I watched that game. Yeah. Because uh, I was curious. I'm like, how the hell did he get beat? Yeah. My favorite example of the 1950s quiz shows uh, rigging backfiring is is uh, they were trying to get one of the women off. Like, they just couldn't stand her anymore. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So they're like, let's give her the most difficult questions we can think of. Like, she won't be able to answer them. She'll mm-hmm. be gone. She answered all of them correctly. Yeah. And she won. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's great. But, to, so, to piggyback off of that, um, in terms of morality, how bothered are you by what they did? Like, are you bothered at all? Do you, like... I, I definitely think we can both agree that it's immoral. Yeah. But David Paymer's got that great scene where he talks about ad revenues up. I'm making money. The contestants are making money. The audience is entertained. And Scorsese says they're following the money. They're not following... They're f- right. They're following the money. Everyone's making out great on this. What's wrong with that? Mm-hmm. You know, in a way it is, I guess, helping the economy. Yeah. Like, so, and television at the end of the day is a form of entertainment. Mm-hmm. Um... Is what they're doing wrong? Do you would you have been pissed if you found out that a game show that you loved, like I can honestly say, if I found out Jeopardy was rigged, I, I I'd probably I mean, be, pr- be pretty mad. But I would have like, I think overall no. Okay. And the reason why is because why do I watch a show? Because I like the questions. I want to answer the questions. My okay. The, that's my journey watching these shows. Is I want to be able How to hear smart those. Am I? Yeah. Because yeah. it's a challenge. It's just, I don't. In the end, does it matter who wins? Not I never, really. I never really cared. Even on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire is a fascinating one because there are certain times you're like, oh man, is that guy gonna do it? Is he gonna? Is he gonna? He gets ah two fifty. Yeah, he's gonna settle Jim. it. I know, I know. You were rooting for people. You really were. Who Wants was, to Be a Millionaire? You were rooting for people. Yeah, because well, for one, they weren't competing against anyone but themselves. Right. And right. that's what was so interesting. Yeah. The way that you just described the game show uh, hoaxes, that's how I felt about pro wrestling. When I found out pro wrestling wasn't real. I had like a week where I was like, man, I don't know. I can't believe it. It's not real. But then I realized the outcomes of the matches, the, you know, whether or not they were real, that wasn't why I liked it. Mm -hmm. And I liked it because of the storytelling. Just like you said, you liked it for the questions. So I feel differently about the game show rig, but I see where you're coming from. I don't think it's as nearly as big of a deal. It's not. Yeah. Granted, it makes for a great movie. And yes, it does like the immorality of it and and stuff like that. Yeah, sure. Absolutely, I agree. But to take it to this level, uh, to basically put, as he says, I'm going to put television on trial. Why? I could see 1958 as being a big deal. Oh, I'm sure. Oh, it was because, huge. Because literally, like, the move, this is what I love about the opening of the movie, is that you literally see everybody getting their TV in time to yeah. see the show. It was appointment viewing for yeah. them. And that's really mm-hmm. cool because that doesn't exist now. Yeah, it's gone. So that's why when you said it's a blip, yeah, it would be a blip. I mean, look at... I mean, I'm trying to think of a scandal. I mean, look at the Fire Festival, right? <laughs> okay. I, I mean, it, You get a great documentary out of it. Right, and it has it has a shelf life when it happens, and it has a shelf life once a doc hits, and then guess what? It We're, lives on in memes and gifts. And, and we have moved on. And we've moved on. Exactly. So... Yeah. Uh, in, it, it is... That, that's, would I, I this think, be a three-year trial? Right. Like, that's why by the end of this movie, I was like... This is why I don't like this movie as much because I this doesn't bother me. Like what? Like all the president's men should bother you. It should. Oh, it, bother oh yeah, you, it and does. It should get you fired up, and it should be. That's why the ending is so awesome. You're like, that's if I think if, and this is this isn't a problem with the movie. It's a pro, It's a problem with the way things turned out. Maybe if politicians had a hand in this, in some way, and or lobbyists did to push some kind of agenda, mm-hmm. maybe it would be like, yo, man, those bastards. You know, like it could make you really mad. But these are just television producers. Right. These are ad advertising executives. And I'm sorry, I've never heard anyone tell me that they hated Geritol. Right. A couple weeks ago was they did the doc on CNN about the flight. I forget the flight. The the flight that disappeared that we've never found. Oh, yeah. The Malaysian flight. Yes. Yeah. And the documentary is so fascinating until you know when? The very end. Why? Because we have no resolution. And that's where it just dies because you're like. And we still don't know anything. We still don't know anything. And that's what's frustrating about the end of some of these true stories is that the ending may not be this really completely interesting thing. And you don't really want them to, you know, like change it drastically just for the sake of a movie, even though, no. that, I mean, that kind of, oh, that, that doesn't leave you with such a great feeling. Well, it makes you feel dirty. But like you take a movie like Argo, 
Argo's 100 percent about the ending. That ending yeah. is so freaking it, good. It's all building. By the end to of it, that. you're like, you're, you're get him so, out. You're so happy when they that plane lo- takes off the ground. It's just unfortunate Great, this man. real story doesn't have. And that's why, like, what do I like better, Argo or Quisho? Like Argo. Oh, Argo. Hell Argo. Argo is a great movie. But there, there's a good argument that the ensemble work, of their, some of the work in Quisho is superior to Argo. Sure. I could see that. I can see that. Well, I think Argo's better directed. Yes. Uh, I, I would say that. And, you know, one, one of the I hate to use this phrase. It stays in its lane. It doesn't try to be, like, by the end of it. Like, no you know one knows what, what it is. I, but here's a great thing about, I, talking about Argo. Here's a great thing about Argo. It doesn't forget to be truly entertaining. Right. Like, it's got some great dialogue in there. And great supporting performances from Goodman and Cranston. Yeah, Argo is a very special movie. I did look up to see if if Quisho at least won the PGA, like, uh, for Best Ensemble. Or no, that wouldn't be a PGA. That would be the the Screen Actors. And I don't know. I I didn't see I don't think so. Which, that's... I, it sucks that Rob Morrow is the reason why you got because the cast is so good. You could argue, you could put this cast, with the exception of Morrow, up against really any of the other movies of this of this year. And the funny thing is, like, it's it, there's so many times we look at a movie like Quish, like, oh, it should have won this. No, against not '94, not that year. I, I was gonna say, like, if this movie had come out any other year, I I th- I, I would think it would have won a lot. Like it just happened. Like that's just me personally. A year later, still would be hard. Braveheart and Apollo Braveheart and Apollo thirteen, and yeah. even Babe. Like that was the third. That was. Yeah, I love of, that Babe gets the Oscar nods and Toy Story doesn't. It's, uh, it kind of hangs in there at third. Directed but by like, George Miller. But like you look at ninety four, it's like you have Shawshank, you have Forrest Gump. Oh, you, Pulp there's Fiction. no way. They are iconic movies that have never left the light of day. They're no. always still and, out there. And there's movies in nineteen ninety four, some of them that we've covered that weren't nominated for anything that have had a longer shelf life than Quisho. Quisho, like I mean, it's it's it, Quisho did okay on home video. It did okay. Yeah, but and I m- think it's it's largely forgotten. Right. No, no, no. Absolutely. That's one of the reasons why I picked it. Uh, yeah. I think ninety six on Rotten Tomatoes is. If you're going by, that's way too high. I think it's way too high for Quisho. Quisho could live in the 90s. I could yes. be fine with it living in the 90s. I think 96. 96, I was a little shocked. High. I think the audience score was 86. Yeah. If you combine those two and divide it by two, that's, there you go. that's the score. There you go. That's the score. Any final word? No. I think I've. Is I that think, it? I think, yeah. I think. All right. I give uh, Quisho a 9. I would give it a 10, but it's Rob Morrow. Yeah. I think the mo- I think this is a fantastic movie. Granted, we're not exactly happy with the way some of the things turn out and, and, and the way that some of the dramatizations handled. But um, I truly do love this movie, mm-hmm. and I would watch it again in a heartbeat. But I'd skip the the, the prologue because uh, I just don't see how it gets into the story. I mean, I guess if you love cars, I I don't. <laughs> or like fifties cars, like oh, well, like- well, it is cool. But I'm, uh, the whole time I was I was on pins and needles because I thought he was going to drop the cigar oh on God. the seat. That's the part I'm like, I was. Stop it! <laughs> like, is this a dream? Like, if I was a car salesman, I wouldn't let him do any 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 kind of smoking. What a different time! Like, my God, stop it! Uh, so yeah, for me, Quiz Show gets a nine, seven. Okay. I live with a seven. I don't think you can go below seven. I, I you can't if, go below seven. No, I don't think so. I really don't. But, but I can't. I I can't give it a ten. I just can't. Oh God, no, no. Oh God, no, no way. No. So you did like it? I because th- seven is a is a is a recommendation. I I mean, as many of the things I issue that I, I think are, are wrong with it, I do think like it has a lot of substantially good parts. Like the way it tells the story of how a television show is made in the nineteen fifties oh, is awesome because it's so different from now. The Azari and Pamer together, together play off one another brilliantly. Yeah. The guys who come in for some heat checks like Scorsese, Kittner, even the Senator, for God's sakes, those guys all come in there and they're shooting the lights out. They're coming as pinch hitters, but they're doing one for two with a couple RBI. They're mm-hmm. knocking guys in. They're great. And Ray Fiennes, like, at the, at the core of it, if only the movie just kind of, like, stuck to that story more, is fantastic. So there are great parts. I just think the heavy-handedness of his directing is what lowers it for me. You know, I think this movie and this is just if Rob Morrow is still in the movie. I think the movie might have worked a lot better if it just focused on Herb Stemple and Van Doren as basically our protagonists. That's... And there's this there's this ass there's this prick. Right. That's a better word. There you, <laughs> go. you like that? Uh lawyer who's just trying to come out. Five dollars? No? How about a hundred? <laughs> 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 that's basically what I did, but no, I think that might have been more interesting. Like how how this 
guy deals with the pressure and how this guy is dealing with the pressure, then I think Rob Morrow would have been easier to take. Uh, well, once again, like Tom Cruise, get him in this. Like, I'm trying to think of a middle of the road, like not super A-lister, who could do this in 1994. I think first you got to rewrite the part. Because I think whoever... You, all right, so here's an example. I kept thinking all the time, what if Jonathan Silverman did this? Because, I'm sorry, like, I was <laughs> no, thinking no, no, him no, no, a lot, no. too. That's great. But yeah, even your... I heard great. you say Dermot Mulroney, Dylan uh, McDermott. Well, those are the, the guys part, that I think are interchangeable with Rob Morrow. The part, but, yeah. The part is too much. They need... Like, the part needed to be dropped. Like, it needed to be decreased in terms well, of... I think that's how Visibility. Yeah. 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 That's... that's The narrative just needs a shift. So, it's a cool movie. Um, it's a... Available in a wide variety of forms. We watched it on Netflix. Not bad, not bad. Qu- quiz show. So, that was fun. That was a lot of fun. I'm glad we finally got to do that and come back with another episode. Uh, join us for our next episode, which will hopefully be coming much sooner, because I told Will we were doing the in- the wrong movie, and he ended up watching it. So, no, so no worries. I've got it under. I've got it ready uh, to go. Oh, I know. It's just I feel bad about that. But it's okay. we got to get it going. Yeah. Um, that'll be October of 1994, our next episode. Uh, Wes Craven's New Nightmare. And that ought to do it. In the meantime, follow us on Twitter at RealChangePod. I myself, I am at CM underscore Stabs. And I am at William Rankin 83 And we will see you next month for Wes Craven's New Nightmare.